folks and welcome back to the thousand one arabian nights i'm your host abana rikabi and i'm your host Yusuf rifai and uh today's topic will be about gnosticism but we do have somebody who's quite knowledgeable on this subject uh iman naji here for our three-part series on religions in the middle east we've covered judaism we've covered christianity now we're going to cover gnosticism see how it influenced uh, the life of the of uh, Arabians at the time as well as lives of other peoples living in the Middle East and what are its carryovers to this day and how did it influence modern religions today such as Christianity, Islam and perhaps maybe even Judaism. So my initial understanding of what Gnosticism meant was more or less um, like sort of like a faith tradition that started with Zoroastrianism where like the dualistic faiths of like, okay, so dualism being the idea that there's a good and bad deity that are in conflict with each other and that the forces of evil are, are manifestations of the physical world and the forces of good are manifestations of divine spiritual world that exists in the human spirit. Like that was my understanding of Gnosticism. I hope it's not- It's a very like matrix way of looking at it. Matrix, okay, well, I don't know. How would you, how would you define it then? So what I was saying before that we know about Gnosticism because of its biggest opponents. So that's how you were introduced to it. So you're introduced mm -hmm. to it when it's already demonized into these polarities of good and evil. And then they had this big discovery in Egypt. You guys heard about the Nag Hammadi library. Mm, actually don't know. This no, is actually, the most no. important discovery in, in like the history of biblical studies that has all the Gnostic documents that didn't exist. So prior to, prior to knowing anything about Gnosticism, we knew about it from very angry Christian evangelists. Does that make sense? Cause yeah. Because they, they were like the competition, right? They were like, you know, everyone's like, you're, that's heresy. That's heresy. Hang that guy. Put that guy in prison. That's nonsense. Jesus didn't say that. That's bullshit. You know, like, so we know about it based on its heretical nature until mm. Nag Hammadi. Then Nag Hammadi is where you got the gospel of, the secret gospel of John comes okay. out of Nag Hammadi. And that's where we really start to understand what Gnosticism is. Isn't Gnosticism older than this? Than uh... Gnosticism is is a is a term. Like I was telling Houston earlier, that it's the best way that I can describe the word in the modern day is like calling somebody woke. Like that guy's woke. That okay. guy's gnostic. He knows what's up. Does that make sense? In like the ancient Christian context. So like what do like let's try to define our terms. What does uh, gnostic like actually indicate then? Okay, so we're not pronouncing it right either. So it's gnostic, it's gnosis. Okay, so gnosis it's is a Greek word and it means knowledge kind of, but not the not so you know English is a very limited language where things have like a one to one ratio. Try to think about this as broadly as humanly possible. <laughs> it means 
the knowledge that's like latent within your spirit. So it's it's something that can't be taught. It's something felt. Does it's that make like, sense? It's kind of like knowledge and intuition altogether. Yes. It, it So intuition is a form of knowledge, mm. right? Yeah. But where does that intuition emanate from? That is the question of gnosis. And so gnosis says, like, if you want to know, the way to know is to pursue gnosis. So think about... Think about Islamically what Islam means. Yeah, okay. What? Uh, submission to, and peace. To submit. Uh, but but. But it means more than that. It's it like a way of. It's it's a way of. It's a state of mind. Yeah, and, exactly. and is a salam, which is like peace. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's more like it's kind of like what people talk about when they. Well, what is the way about, to peace? Well, when they talk about ego death, like when they're being woke right yeah it's it's a state of mind anyways um so getting back to the topic like my initial idea of like when i first did tried to do this research on like why wikipedia keeps calling all these different religions gnostic yeah i was trying to figure out what the common thread was so like these different faith traditions that we're going to talk about they they each have a very big impact on the history of the middle east and the religions of the middle east but they're kind of tied together as being outside of the traditional like trinity of faiths that we understand to be like the Abrahamic religions, the Judaism, Christianity, Islam, that like very clean, like line of descent. Yeah. But these kind of stand outside of any of those three religions. And so they're kind of like lumped under the label of Gnostic is kind of like what's going on. Um, no. And Gnostic, good Gnostic. <laughs> Yes and no. So you, you talked about the three religions, right? And yeah. each main religion has its spiritual school of thought that's attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. So Islamically, we would identify Sufis. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They'd also be called Gnostic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kabbalah for Judaism, Gnostic for Christianity. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's exactly Not there, but that's how I would say it. Like, like Gnosticism is basically the spiritual brand, not brand, sorry, but the spiritual uh, strain of a religion, if that makes sense. Because you know how like the religions, they have like a, uh, a doctrine, they have a, they doctrine have a yeah. side, well, uh, aspect to it, but they also, have, but then there's also like a spiritual. Right. And in those religions, religion. you're not allowed to philosophize, right? You're not, you're exact, like it's it's considered heretical to question the text, to question the leader. That's right? the, that, but that's these rules the of thought do that. They, they're like, fuck all that. Um, we're going to focus on the spiritual aspect. So they, they themselves never refer to themselves as Gnostic. Yeah. Well, it, that makes sense? it's like Sufis. Sufism is not a... Uh, it's a method for interacting with God. It's a, yeah, they call it a tariqa, which a way. It's not exactly it's a tariqa is the text. best way to describe yeah. the entire context of what we're talking about. It's 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 not a diff, it's not a sect of its own. It's you can be Sunni Sufi, you can be Shiite Sufi. It's not a diff, it's not a sect of its own. It's just a different path. It's it's a different method. Like my understanding of Sufism, for example, is that like it, it exists beyond the dichotomy of the different kind of legalistic understanding they're very related so the the concepts okay back to gnosticism this will help you understand sufism down the road 
and Kabbalah and all those other schools of thought, right? So Houston, talk about the political context of ancient Middle East at that time. Okay. And we're talking, I'm, I don't know, like first, second century. Okay, the best, okay, so we were talking about this before when we were sort of planning out this episode and to give it a little bit of structure for our audience, the Middle East from right around the times of Caesar, think of Caesar in your mind, up until Muhammad was really a place where two empires clashed and they used every like polity within that like system to hit at each other in this like massive series of wars. So right down the middle where we now understand the, the borders between Mesopotamia and Syria, like later on Iraq and Syria, that border region was a, like, was a place of constant battles between these two great empires where they tried to control trade routes, cities, all the rest of it. And they never really got a, an upper hand on each other like in any major way. So it was just like 600 years of these two superpowers knocking heads is the best way to like explain that. And Gnostic in that like broad sense religions and Christianity and all these different religions, there was a real big shift in the third century. So it's called in the West, the crisis of the third century, where for a number of reasons, there was a series of, uh, of shakeups in the area. So in Iran, for example, you, you see the Parthian empire I forget what the, Ars the Arsacid dynasty, as it's called, gets replaced by the Sasanian dynasty. And this is like a more aggressive Persian empire, which is also tasked with like pushing out like enemy invasions, for example. They had an easier time of things. But when it came to the Middle East, this also set off a series of wars between Rome and Iran. And when I say Rome and Iran, like that's like the best way to understand the continuity. I know like Iman was having trouble with the terminology there. So it's kind of a switcheroo. <laughs> Because like, what, what did you say about what, when I said the, the terms Rome and Iran, what, what did you say was like your, the image that comes to mind in your head? It makes it seem like, like there's this huge war all the way from Italy to Persia, which I don't think was the case because at the time, Rome is no longer based in Rome. Rome is now Byzantium. Yeah. But, Turkey, but that's only later on. not far at all. Yeah. But that's only uh -huh. Christianity really had its like explosion in popularity during the crisis of the third century and the crisis of the third century, the capital of Rome was still in Rome. Okay. Just at, towards the end of this period of transition in Roman empire, when Constantine finally takes over and like that whole history that we talked about last time, that's when Rome started to shift to Christian to more Eastern focused, all of that. And like the fall of the Western provinces was oh, when the guy died and he saw a cross in the sky or something? Yeah, yeah, that's Constantine. That's whole that whole business. Yeah. And that stuff happened. I don't know anything about that stuff. Around this era when like these different religions start to take like like what was the classical world starts to transition into uh what is considered the, the antiquity, late antiquity. So what does that sound like to you on the ground? village guy with your family trying to get by what kind of world is that it's a world in chaos exactly world in chaos predicates what uncertainty uncertainty like the emperors of rome keep switching over there's armies marching through every yeah province. but you the villager don't really care about that but you, do, you, you don't you, care you, you feel the impact eventually you do you do plagues. feel but you don't really care about it well, but it, 
that uncertainty will lead are you, are you asking this in a religious point of view like what kind but of you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to set the tone of like why why people are philosophizing and and completely reconstructing because how if, they perceive the afterlife and how they perceive um because in one way it probably feels like the world is ending exactly yeah that's why yeah. they call it apocryphal literature Political stability, disease, war. Sounding yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna get into And so all the time, in that kind of context, people are constantly looking for a prophet and they're constantly looking for a sign of is this gonna change or is the world gonna end? And if it does end, how do I get to heaven? Is there a heaven? What do I do? So it's a very tense time in history. It's a very important time in history because now people actually have the courage to go in and radically reconstruct Abrahamic religion, which itself was radical at the time. But now people are, are fed up with it and are saying that this seems to surface level. And that's where you get these, um, I don't know what to call them. P people in academia might call them mystery cults. They might call them mystery schools, spiritual schools, schools of thought, things like that. But um, that's where gnosis is birthed from. It's this desire to have a deeper of, meaning, I guess, to, uh, rather than just doctrine. Is that what you're trying to get at? Again? Is this is, you? Are you talking about like people start to are, are starting to look for a deeper meaning? into behind things rather than just like a religion of doctrine? I would, I think so. I think people are constantly saying, well, we followed the church. We followed this particular faith and the world is still chaotic. So maybe they're wrong. Okay. Yeah. I see. Does that, that. make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is like, I think just to like try to ground it a little bit more for, for the people like listening in, we're talking about specifically this period of transition from like the era when the dominant faiths were Zoroastrianism, which we'll get into later, and the Greco-Roman pagan cults into like this sort of like new milieu. Okay, so I think it's now is a good time to like try, sort of like run through some of the different faith traditions. So like them being labeled Gnostic is like a misnomer but what like in Arabic is known as, I guess, Sabians? Sabia, Sabia, yeah. Sabia. So these are what like, what later writers would call Sabia in, in, in Arabic are what we today in like Wikipedia seems to label as Gnostic religions are actually the dualistic faiths, right? Um, because Zoroastrians are referred to as Majus. Okay. Al Majus. Sabia. Majusia. Saba'a would probably be, at least from how I understand it, it would be... Um, yeah, but I think that's a nisbah. I don't think that has anything to do with who they Gnosticism. Are. Sorry? I think that's just like a nisbah. Like, yeah, I, it, I don't it, think it has anything to do with who they were. Well, this is just for like Quranic references, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't translate into Gnosticism at all. From my understanding, the Quran would have been down with Gnostics. That's my opinion. Um, I, Gnostics, you mean? Sorry, I kind of agree with you as well. 
on that. Okay. Well, in the case of the Sabia, are like the third group that are considered the people that are like protected. Okay. That's like they're part of the Anasul Kitab. Yeah. So the people of the book. Yeah, Ahlul Kitab. Yeah. So like trying to like break down these different terminologies is so fascinating because like on the one hand, like so one group, the Zoroastrians, are considered by one term and they're not considered people of the book, but another group are considered. Zoroastrian is a very specific religion. No. Okay. Very specific. It's a state religion also. You right. need to understand that. There is nothing like Sufis, nothing like Gnostic groups. Yeah. Nothing like, we're talking about small ascetic groups in the desert, in the mountains, in caves, not eating, fasting, doing ecstatic dances. Zoroastrianism is a state religion of Persia. All right. It's a totally different ball game that we're talking about. There are instances where you could say Zoroastrianism is kind of like Gnosticism. It is kind of, but also not at the same time. We're talking about things that exist next door to each other. They're borrowing from each other. Um, they're interpreting each other's interpretation. But the reason that people compare Gnosticism to Zoroastrianism has to do with Ahura Mazda, okay. which is like big God of Zoroastrianism. In Zoroastrianism, you have hierarchies of, of, of spirit, spiritual realms, I guess is a good way to put it. In yeah. Gnosticism, you have hierarchies of spiritual realms. The highest spiritual realm in Gnosticism is, um, they call it the monad. They, that's their word. In Zoroastrianism, it's Ahura Mazda. It's like the highest form of being. It's uh, Zoroastrianism is a religion of itself. While, it's a state religion. Yeah, while Gnosticism is more like, it's not a religion of itself, but it's more like a way. A well, it's a religion. It being. becomes a religion. It yeah. becomes a religion. But they have their own doctrine. They have their own like cosmological story about how um, everything came into being. And that's what makes Gnostics so interesting to people because they have this really radical, different way of looking at okay. it's the Hebrew Bible. They, it, they go after the Hebrew God and they basically say, okay, they basically say that the God of the Hebrew Bible, okay? He's a God, but he's not the only God. Mm. And there are parts of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament where like certain characters will allude to that and say like, for example, people use the, the phrase from the Hebrew Bible when he says, I am a jealous God. And then the Gnostics are like, who's he jealous of? How can he be jealous if he's the only God? Okay, okay? so they, it's kind of a direct attack on Judaism, uh, Hebrew Bible beliefs. So they believe that that God of the Hebrew Bible, who's jealous, who uh, rains terror down on people, right? Who wipes out all of humanity, who brings the flood, who causes all this horrible things to happen in the world. He, he's a God, but he's the lowest spiritual God in existence. And that's why and, and, and the, material, the material world is a manifestation that he created. And it's unclear 
if he even knows he created it. And the reason that the spirit, the material world is so flawed is because he is the birth of Sophia, who is wisdom, but he wasn't meant to be birthed. So he's, everything's tainted. But the reason that things are kind of beautiful sometimes is because like they, they're like texts that talk about the reason that nature is really intense, but sometimes it's really beautiful is because it possesses that small amount of divinity from like the highest, somebody like Ahura Mazda, right? But this God who created this world is the lowest God. And the idea of Gnosticism is to, is to know, is to know that first of all. First of all, you have to know this. And in order to know it, you have to break free from it. Mm. So there are different schools of thought in Gnosticism. Some people or some schools of thought will say um, through transcendence of the material realm, you can confront this God. And they call this God the Demiurge or Ialdabaoth. You can confront him directly and get back to the higher levels of being. So, for example, when in the biblical story, when Adam and Eve are about to, um, when they when they find the the apple, right, and the snake comes, who's we we're taught is evil, mm-hmm. um, the Gnostics would say that that snake was actually the good God, the <laughs> highest form of God, trying to show humanity the way out of this horrible material universe that that screwed up lower god made and so if you eat the knowledge of this tree you can slowly break free from this material bullshit basically and transcend this universe so they saw the ahura mazda level being so you can imagine how radical that is in general and then put it in the context of that time yeah that's gonna cause some fights so they saw heaven as material Not, not heaven but no not a we're not talking about heaven wasn't that tree but according to the bible wasn't that tree in heaven no this is the tree of knowledge in eden okay 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 yeah 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 all right yeah so the tree of knowledge right why does eve want to bite the tree of knowledge why, why would she want that why why would it even be presented to them so these are all questions that gnostics would ask mm. and then they would philosophize on why is there even a tree in this situation. What does a tree look like? Um, is it like this? Is it like that? So they're like really focusing on the minutia and then extracting like grand narratives from it. But the ideal concept is that Gnostics believe that when when Eve or Adam, it's also unclear in their doctrine who actually ate the apple. But either way, it doesn't matter because whoever did that helped to save humanity. So, so the, it's the polar opposite interpretation of the Bible. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing a lot of like Greek philosophy mixed in with some of the influence of Zoroastrian like cosmetology with a biblical interpretation. It's on money, on the money. Like that is, it's platonic. It's absolute, it's platonic theory. It's, it sounds like forms, like Plato's theory of forms, but also not at all if that makes sense so like we're, we're talking about a tradition that mixes in hellenic iranian and semitic influences altogether. the whole area is hellenic is is 
Persian is it's all these things at once. Exactly. They're all coexisting at once. Which is why like all of these religions are really germinated in this like region that's so very diverse, right? Because yeah. and there's a there's heavy Chinese philosophy in this too that we just are not taught about in like our Western education. But if you study the text, that there's a heavy Chinese presence there as well. Right. Like Mani, for example, Mani goes directly after Buddha. Exactly. And that's how he presented himself. So we're we're gonna kind of get into that. We're gonna kind of get into that because I, I kind of want to deal with each of these like faith traditions that we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about three specific ones. So we, we're I, I really re appreciate this presentation of Christian gnosticism. Gnosticism? You can just say Gnostic. I'm just saying that in Greek, it's Gnosis. It's like, okay, you know the term agnostic, how people say yeah. they're agnostic? Yeah. That means that the actual meaning of that would be like you're against knowing things on a deeper level. Oh, well, I mean. <laughs> it's it's like the opposite of what they intend for it to mean, which yeah, is Yeah, because agnostic people like present themselves as people who are open to multiple ideas. Right, and they their name means anti-knowledge. Yeah, that's that's awkward. But I, I just wanted to get into this. So we've mentioned Zoroastrian. We're gonna talk about three faith traditions. We're gonna talk about Zoroastrianism, which some people might have heard of. We're gonna talk about Mandaeism, which I think, yeah, Mandaeism is one that's still alive as well. And that's one that um, uh, Oban knows a little bit more about. And like- Manda, Manda I think in, Avestan, um, the ancient language of that region, also means knowledge. So it would have been a word exactly like gnosis, FYI. But they're, they're like specifically the followers of John the Baptist that like resettled in like southern Mesopotamia and stuff, which is a really cool story. But we'll get into that. He's a and famous guy, that guy. The followers of Manny, the prophet that you mentioned, uh, and his followers or Manichaeism. So we'll, we'll start off with the oldest one first, because that's usually like the order of things. So Zoroastrianism, that's that's the word people have heard, but like, I, I don't think a lot of our audience members will really understand it very much. So like my understanding- Earth is evil, God is in fire. Right, that's all the, the philosophy stuff, but like, where does it come from? What is its tradition? What does it do in the physical world? So Zoroastrianism was like, a religion that came about from the followers of this guy Zarathustra. Right? Yeah. Yep. And he lived like some like the one of the sources I, I looked up like said some centuries before Cyrus the Great or something like that. Like it could have been they don't know. They have no idea. I think people date him between fifteen hundred and a thousand BC. That's big, they don't they have no idea. That's a big period and that's like like that's kind of like, just like whatever, that time period after the fall, like the, the Bronze Age collapse or whatever. That's like- That's like fucking New Kingdom Egypt, dude. Like that, I mean, that <laughs> if his religion, his, his presence must have been extremely powerful. I'll just say that. Well, uh, his religion became extremely powerful later on, but like it wasn't really adopted by the Persians, like the Iranian state, the Achaemenid dynasty, you know, the classic Persian empire. Yeah. Uh, until like the like the empire actually like took over like it wasn't the traditional religion of the iranian people well nothing was anything this, traditional for the achaemenids they they took on the traditions of whoever they conquered 
They're Achaemenid pharaohs. I mean, it sounds a little bit like Christianity, how it was adopted by the Roman Empire, no? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but it's unique. It's unique to Persia. Yeah, it's unique yeah. to, to like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Persia, that whole area. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very interesting. And the iconography of it, right? We have to also look at iconography is what? Do you, are, you, are you guys familiar with uh, what Ahura Mazda looks like? Isn't it a bird? Well, Ahura Mazda is flanked by two wings that you see yeah. a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That have pyramids and things like that. Also, the, god, the Assyrian god, um, Ashur as well so it's kind of a union of like osiris and because it's, it's sort of like Asher. of like the iranian plateau coming together in that way maybe yeah so like originally like according to my uh, my my old professor of like iranian civilization that i took he explained yeah. like originally the iranian religions were actually somewhat more similar to they're like the western branch of the aryan people like that's where the name iran comes to the Aryan. whoa where is this going no, no, no. This is stuff that it's like how the like that word becomes problematic like two thousand years later. Yeah, it, it's sort of like that syncretic thing where like the Nazis literally took whatever weird nonsense around from around the world and like recobbled it together into some sort of theory. The point is, yeah. the Indo-Iranian languages come from a specific migration south from the steppe, and like the languages are a at least the languages themselves, not like this is a whole huge argument and debate, but the languages themselves okay. from that migration south and the religions as well. So originally- That's a very- That was how he explained it, okay? This is extremely contentious history. So then why is, why is Proto-Indo-European only in Persia then? Why is it nowhere else in the Middle East? Like it doesn't, oh, it doesn't fly. Well, unless they're like going up through Russia and coming down, I don't know. Okay, Proto-Indo-European, which is the language we're talking about, supposedly comes from the Ukrainian and Russian steppe. That's how, like, Stop. I know Stop. this is all extremely contentious. I know. It hurts in the soul. Okay, whatever. We're not even going to get into this debate. Just know our audience members that all of these debates are well beyond us and they're extremely contentious. But the point is, he explained it that, like, Yes, they are. Right. And the, the reason that they're contentious, and it's important for the listeners to understand this, the reason that they're contentious, they're appropriated politically. Yes. And used today. So when I say, you know, watch what you say and stuff, it's because these beliefs have manifestations in the real world on the ground, and people use them to attack each other. Exactly. Like in India, no. this is especially controversial in India, because like there's this whole like defensiveness about like, oh, you're saying that our civilizations weren't native to the to the continent or whatever. And it's like, they no, are, they're exactly saying that. And there's a there's a very like underlying Nazi ideology to that, which I won't get into, but I can any other time you want. When evidence was first like discovered, anyways, we're going to get we're going to go into like a third wheel, like way off the side beaten path. But like, the understanding is at least the language. We're Nazis Gnostic. <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> they used a symbol from India out of context and now it's like a hate symbol worldwide. It's just the worst thing. It's a Jain symbol and Jains are in Pakistan, but okay, go on. Subcontinent India. Pakistan was once India. Okay, you're right. <laughs> 
Pakistan wasn't a th- okay. Never mind. Anyway, so much trouble if I even say that. Anyways, sentence. anyways, anyways. Oh God. Okay, whatever. We've been completely derailed. <laughs> on track. Anyways, we somehow were like talking about the Arab world, and now we're like off in Russia or somewhere. I don't know. So essentially, Zarathustra was preaching about the existence of a higher being, a Hura Mazda, and then like the lower, like the evil god, essentially. The evil god and the good god are in constant battle and the manifestations of the physical world are all the ills of the physical world are themselves the uh the products of that evil god and the products of the human soul and uh, is divinity or like the the origin of the human soul is divinity and that is a product of ahura mazda and the basic elements like fire, for example, is like the physical manifestation or symbolic manifestation of that divine spark, which is why they're often stereotyped as like fire worshipers and like temples of fire thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds right. Also, cool, cool thing about Zoroastrians, uh, they, they did like their favorite way of traditional burial is sky, something called sky burial. Have you ever heard of this? No. Sky burial is where you lay out the body in a specific building so that the birds can eat it. Yeah, that it has a different name and, and other people did that too. And it for, for a very specific reason. I think it has to do with purification of the soul, but yeah. I can't remember. Because like if you leave the body in like the earth, you're leaving it in the uh, unclean physical world or something. Okay, that's the way I understood it. But again, I'm always wrong about it. Well, again, so the reason that they're compared is because of this notion of duality but as i told you like narcissism is not really about duality mm-hmm. it's it it's interpreted that way because because people interpreted the interpretation of that lower god the demiurge and the material realm as having to be evil but there's nothing in the in the actual text that denote it as evil if that makes sense it's but that's sorry but that's gnosticism yeah when we're talking about zoroastrianism the the physical is evil i don't know if it's evil it's not it's impure yeah okay i think imperfect is is better no yeah so it dies it decays it's it it has a limit divinity doesn't right so I, I just wanted to list off a few things that would be interesting for later on in our series when we're like talking about Zoroastrianism and stuff. So okay. by the time of the Achaemenid Empire, it becomes like the state religion where like the state religion of the empire, where like the one thing they will do, uh, the Achaemenids are a very hands-off kind of empire comparatively. One thing they will do is they'll set up a temple in the new territories as like a, not destroy any other temples, but like set up their own temple as like sort of a symbolic representation of their their religion in the new territories and like the actual conquests of the empire. And uh, there's a few things that are like interesting, at least from an outsider's perspective, is that the faith itself of Zoroastrianism, its faith does reform itself a few times or attempt to. So like there's this, uh, we'll get into it in a future episode, but somebody named Mazdak would eventually attempt to completely reform the religion of the Iranian empire. And he would like revolutionize the religion by like arguing for veganism and pacifism and communal ownership and stuff like that. 
So it was like a huge threat against the caste system that existed in the Iranian empire at the time. Mm. So, like that was like upheld by this like um, Zoroastrian religious order that existed prior. Mm. Additionally, one of the things that I noticed was that like somebody was explaining Zoroastrian thought about like the day of judgment that a lot of religions have. And like he specifically mentioned that there was like a bridge that one would cross that if you were impure or like your good deeds did not outmatch your bad deeds, you would fall off of, which is somewhat similar to a lot of religious thought later on. I'm not sure who, who borrowed from who in that case. That sounds like the weighing of the heart. Yeah, yeah. It's a very common one. So I don't know why they parse it out. Weirdly enough, dogs are considered sacred in Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrian faith. Dogs are sacred in most ancient religions. Just, uh, okay, interesting. They run around cemeteries a lot, and they know where to find dead people and dead things. Like, if you've ever lived in the desert, dogs, jackals, they're all, like, think about Egypt, like Anubis, and you can think about, like, the Choloswinkle in the Maya and the Aztec. Like it's everywhere in the big, big religions, mm. big civilizations, dogs are usually the, um, they call it in Greek, it's called a psychopomp. Um, it's like a, a, a person who, or a thing that takes you to the underworld. Like can, so a dog can transcend realms. It can transcend the material realm and take the soul to the spiritual realm. You know how people say that like dogs and cats can see things that we can't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Something like that. Cats mostly. It's because they are our spiritual couriers to the afterlife. Interesting. In, in any case, I want to like ex- explain to our audience that like the Zoroastrianism kind of sounds like an ancient religion, but it like still survives to this day like it is an ancient religion in the same sense that christianity is an ancient religion and judaism is an ancient religion they not consider it as like a living religion is what i mean and there are still yeah. about a hundred thousand zoroastrians in the world today weirdly enough, like uh, interestingly enough so when like islam uh came into persia into the iranian empire that region was converted over like a period of centuries and some of the people who felt persecuted in Iran fled to different parts of the world, including India, and then later on different areas in the Indian Ocean. So like there were communities of Zoroastrians like in East Africa, in, in mostly in India, and in still some in, in Iran itself. Um, but yeah, the faith was later reformed, but it was eventually pushed out by Islam. And that's kind of like the history of that faith tradition. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to bring up because Zoroastrian thought would influence later religions in the Middle East, as we've clearly d- demonstrated with the idea of dualism and the rest of it. Zoroastrian um, ideology is very different than Sunnah. It would not mix. Mm. Think about Arab tribes leaving bodies out in the desert for animals to scavenge. Like, it's just not... Yeah, but what I mean, Oban's face, like an Arab's just like, uh-uh. No, no that, that's big. No. And actually, it's, it's part of the reason why Zoroastrianism hasn't survived to this day, because they didn't have, they weren't compatible with certain Abrahamic beliefs that the people of the book could follow along with. They were, in a sense, monotheistic in a very broad sense in that Ahura Mazda is like the supreme deity. But I don't know that that means that they didn't believe in other deities. Also the fact that they believe that you can perceive Ahura Mazda in fire. 
which would not fly islamically it's somewhat no. idolatrous isn't it extremely yeah. yeah in islam it wouldn't work no but no. The, the thing with zoroastrianism is that it like it is a very important like counter in like islamic history and like later on and including in arab history in the centuries leading up to the rise of islam it's the, it's the re religion of the sasanians yeah right? yeah for sure man yeah it, it, because it, it becomes a major important like part of the whole story so it's like it's important to like kind of get out what this is exactly what we mean by that and yeah. but and i would argue that gnosticism probably influenced islam more than zoroastrianism fair enough um although do we think that like the dualistic kind of uh, ideas are influenced themselves by zoroastrianism no the dualistic ideas were there for thousands and thousands of years okay what do, i mean you mean like singular dualism like there's only good and evil yeah or well, that's present in the present in the in the Hebrew Bible, no, or in Judaism. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, actually, no. no, no. That's a Christian development later down the line. Of of good and evil. Yeah, of good and evil. Remember, we talked about how. You're, yeah, yeah, you're right. Covenant. God smites everyone not be, because they keep breaking a covenant, not because there's evil in the world. Yes. And then later on down the line. Christian apocalypticists will then say, you know what, maybe it's not this covenant thing. Maybe there is actual evil and God's at war with the devil. All right. So I just to keep things moving along, I just want to bring up Zoroastrianism partly because it's also really influential in the people, other peoples of the Middle East as well, especially Kurdish and other Iranian peoples. So yeah. Nauruz is is in a Zoroastrian tradition. Nauruz like, uh, is translated in English as uh, Persian New, New Year's. Yeah. So like, it's still like the, one of the only like non-Islamic holidays that's celebrated in Iran today. Yeah. And it's like the big one. It's, it usually happens in spring. It's uh, during the, uh, yeah, during the spring solstice, no? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. But, it still influences Iranian culture to this day. Yeah, well, it's it, yeah, it's the it's the Persian New Year. It's yeah. uh, it's also it has to do with harvest as well. Yeah, it's like renewal and. Re it's related to Sabians directly. Wait, what? Okay, but who you who are the Sabians? The alleged Zoroastrians of the Quran. Isn't it Mandeans? Isn't it the Mandeans who are the Sabians? Uh. No, maybe. Because to this day, I mean, we still call them that. We still call them Sabe. All right, so. Yeah, you know, Sabe, that's why I'm thinking about it because I, I th this because is like, the word for spring and spring is the time where people celebrate Nauru's. Mm -hmm. And there's the, the, the reason that it's called these things, the names. Connect, in Arabic? Yeah, in Arabic. Spring is Rabia. Well, no, in, in, let me look it up in, I think in, in classical Arabic, it's not. Hmm. But it, it isn't, it, it is possible that the two ideas became conflicted because both of them came from the same empire. Like the two groups might be conflicted in the minds of uh, 
the early authors. Well, yeah, probably maybe because I'm going off of the of, of out of off of what we call them today because there's still a group in in southern Mesopotamia today yeah. that we call them us uh, non-Mandias Muslims or the Arabs. We call them a Sabe, and they're like a yeah. group of like hundred thousand people, maybe something like that. Maybe less, actually. Yeah, but and, actually, and you see them there. They're uh, they come out. They're on on the river, the Tigris River, and they they yeah. they they they're. they're it, it means it means spring in Aramaic. Aramaic, and that's the language of the Mendeans and the the educated language of the Middle East at the time. One of them. <laughs> The common language, the, the, the common language. Yeah, people do speak Greek, but Aramaic is, is the language of Babylon. The language of like Syria and Iraq of today. Yeah. Basically. And, and of Palestine yeah. of today. Um, yeah, but it's also what it's, you know, it's Babylonian. Like that's the whole expulsion of the Jews, you know. Yeah, but it, well, actually, it, anyways, we're not going to get into that. But the point is, um, <clears throat> we kind of want to talk about the Mendeans specifically because they're their own very interesting, like... Did I tell you that Manda means to know also? Yes, it's you did. The, it's the like Aramaic, whatever you want to call that word for Gnostic. Interesting. Wait, so we call them, but what do they call themselves, Mandeans? Do they call themselves Sabians? No uh, idea. Let me flip this one up. Because if in English it's Mandeans and then in Arabic it's Sabians, and then you said that in Aramaic, spring is what Sabe. It's related to the root of that, yeah. To the root of Sabe. Wow. So for for the Mandeans, they actually have a specific dialect of Aramaic that they call Mandaic, which Manda meaning knowledge. So they call themselves those with the knowledge. That doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> <laughs> and. Sabion comes from the Arabic term sabi, which means the baptizers, which is also pretty apt. Yeah. So, keep digging. You'll find spring in there somewhere. Probably, but we're going we're gonna to leave it at that for now. But like, just to clarify the terminology and both of which are very useful because like every, a lot of groups of people call themselves those with the knowledge of God, basically, like the true knowledge of God. Yep. But the the also the term for them is actually kind of apt as well because calling them the baptizers makes a lot of sense because yeah. they perceive themselves and they follow essentially the cult of John the Baptist or like they ha they believe that the last prophet was John the Baptist and they are actually John the Baptist the same John of the New Testament exactly okay so, so this guy's big in like all of these uh, spiritual movements exactly they like him a lot and the, the funny he wrote revelation right yes yeah and the interesting thing is like they're described as not christian because they don't believe in christ but they believe in everything up in oh oh this is really interesting okay yeah. Go. i will explain so all these people who know who have manda who are gnosis right they know things they believed that Jesus Christ, okay, Jesus Christ was sent by, I'm just using Ahura Mazda as the highest level of divinity. In Gnosticism, it's the monad, it's the ultimate totality. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
Jesus is sent by this ultimate totality to preach against the demiurge and to tell people this is the way to transcend the material universe and come back to the highest level of divinity. He's sent to do that. So they completely reject the resurrection. They completely reject the him being the son of God in, in some kind of holy trinity. They reject all these notions. They reject any importance related to his body because his body is completely meaningless in mm -hmm. terms of Gnosticism. And he came to teach people, okay, so in Christianity, at that time, right? Nobody's kind of really focusing on the teachings of Christ. We talked about this in a previous yeah, episode. They're, they're obsessing Christ. over what happened to him yeah. and, and the meanings of what happened to him. The Gnostics and the Mondians, Manichaeism, who all these guys are like, no, no, you, you, did, you missed the point. The point was all of his teaching was to teach you how to transcend the physical body and go back to the mm -hmm. demiurge. I mean, to, to bypass the Demiurge's material universe. And that is actually really interesting because that idea like actually lasts until like the 13th century. And uh, are you familiar with like the Cathars? I, the French guys, yeah. Yeah, the French ones. This is very <laughs> similar to what they believed, right? All of this, okay, so but this all of this crazy. starts the occult. It starts, this is very like Da Vinci Code now, right? Yeah. This, this is where it's going, though. It, it this is Gnosticism heavily influences Hermetica, which comes in that time, but also heavily during the medieval period. Yeah. Um, and and like Thomas Aquinas, all of these philosophical thinkers, they start to now philosophize about the spiritual. This this is spiritual metaphysics, mm -hmm. and then during the Middle Ages, it's on acid interesting if that makes sense which is like i think really interesting because it ties in like this whole mediterranean world together because like they southern france is connected to the middle east through this like sort of occult well that has to do with like salahuddin and jerusalem and the we'll crusades get, we'll that. and that i mean bro that come on we got to get that into future episodes but just that's another episode for sure to, to limit our discussion a little bit what I find interesting is like the Mandeans being the followers of John the Baptist and in that kind of, and actually in more directly into that Gnostic dualistic tradition, mm -hmm. they ended up like in the physical world, they're also referred to, it's possible like according to one source that they were described as the Nazarene sect of Judaism that was separate from the Christian sect. So like trying to trace where they go is interesting because like they were in the region of Nazareth, uh, of Nazareth and also the Jordan Valley. Yeah. Where John the Baptist was doing his stuff. And if we don't, yeah. uh, John the Baptist. And they also have the spear of destiny and um, yeah. they have the Holy Grail, all of this. And then all of this very interestingly ties to Arthurian legend and then becomes part of like Britain. It's, it's, it's quite connected all of these ideas just like float around and like are reformulated into new things over time it's very interesting but the, the core concept houston is that there are small groups that have very very intimate knowledge of the divine that you mm -hmm. don't have and that the the masses are sheep they're sheeple and they're doomed and and our small 
ways our small little factions of of ascetics of, of like monk-like monasteries all over these places they are the true keepers of wisdom indeed and this but sounds like everybody but but again this mo most exactly. groups die out eventually but like this one is interesting because it survives a long time and the way they do so is by like migrating to southern mesopotamia where like Oban can like see them like still performing baptisms to this day. Yeah, you still you still see them on on the Tigris or the Euphrates. They're usually dressed in all white, and they're baptized. I, I don't know how often they baptize. I, I thought it was maybe I think every uh, every spring, but I think it's more often than that. Okay. And yeah. Did but, you take no, any pictures? Oh no, you weren't there in the spring. Never mind. No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't. But they're not far from where we are, actually. Yeah. And they, their symbol is interesting because it's literally like a cross with a white cloth over it. Uh, it. It's an interesting, like, it's definitely an Abrahamic faith, weirdly enough. But it's like such a small offshoot that um, we don't really consider it as part of, like, the, the great trinity of... Uh, the, whole, the whole region is all contemplating this Abrahamic God and this concept, like, but, to a degree that you can trace the influence of all the surrounding religions into it as well. Exactly. But they also can't be described as like Christian Gnostics because they, they don't will, believe in Christ. They do not believe in Christ. <laughs> According to their belief system, Jesus is expressly condemned, expressly condemned as a deceiver born of witchcraft. So they take a very hard line against uh, Christianity, which is probably why they had to migrate in the 600s to southern mesopotamia under the the authority of the iranian empire Wait, but this goes this is very different than what you said about uh jesus christ being you said he was a warner against uh the the lowly god but the mandaism isn't gnosticism no he's a teacher of how to transcend the material universe to reach yeah totality yeah. And I feel like this is a very, very ancient idea or like the root of all religions, Yeah. at least, no? But again, coming off of what Iman is saying about like these different sects, like very much like making strong, like having very strong and distinct cosmolo cosmologies, like this sect, for example, they denounce the God of the Torah as the servant of darkness. So very much like the Gnostic idea or even more extreme than the Gnostic idea. Well, think about it from their perspective. He very much is the servant of darkness. <laughs> in, in their perspective, I totally understand that. Exactly. Within everybody's worldview, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Actually, interestingly, apparently they do, they perform like almost weekly baptisms. Like it's a weekly service okay. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they're specifically like Muslim leaders in the following centuries would specifically identify them as the Sabaeans, by the way. Yeah, that's... that's as the baptizers. Yeah, that's where, where I thought the Quran might uh, refer to as the Sabe. Yeah. But maybe this was added on, maybe this term was appropriate to them later on. Yeah. Possible. I don't know. Yeah. Well, in any case, to, to this day, there are still tens of thousands, up to 100,000 Mandaeans around. Most of them have left Iraq uh, following 2003 and all that business. Uh, there's big communities of them in like Australia and Scandinavia these days. Yeah. Which right. Australia is- there, there are a lot of surviving traditions from that region. There's like a big Assyrian community. Yeah. There is, yeah. A Chaldean community. There's- yeah. 
exactly. But what's interesting to highlight is the ones that aren't are distinctly not Christian, yeah, and not Jewish and not Muslim. Yeah, these are all the traditions that like are even older, right? Yeah, they, that's jahiliya. That's like total jahiliya territory. Exactly. And getting into like the final of the three that we're going to talk about, uh, we we were sort of discussing Manny earlier on uh, with like. He's cool. I like him. He's an interesting one, although his his prescription against you know uh, procreating kind of doomed his faith tradition altogether. I think he like dipped out of the Middle East. He's like, "Fuck this place! I'm going to China." And he, went to he, left. he did a bunch huh? of. He went to India. He went to China. He went to Rome. Yeah. Like he did, like he just like he got around. He got around, and it's partly because he got around so much, and he had the support of the Iranian emperor at the time, Shapur. You guys. In Canada, do you guys have those like crazy televangelist guys? No, not as much. No, 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 no. barely That's actually. Nothing here. Yeah. Bonnie reminds me of like a Joel Osteen. Like, I don't know if you know who that is. But... We're not intimately familiar, but I, I'm familiar with what televangelists sound like. This is a guy that would have had a stadium of thousands of people and he's like standing there going, all the prophets not nearly as smart as I am and like saying things like that and basically preaching another form of salvation with really um kind of what we would consider strange requirements like as you said no procreating yeah um, okay so I'm I'm gonna place this guy in historical context just for the but he really influenced Islam yes we'll get to that but the problem bothers you about <laughs> no i was just wondering like how but we'll get to that we'll actually. get to it yeah it's another episode all right the prophet manny was born in 216 uh, ad on the banks of the tigris river so within the iranian empire and with by the age of 12 uh the iranian empire had switched over uh from the parthian Arsacid dynasty. So that's like a, a really important switchover that completely changes the Iranian like region altogether. And later on, Manny will, will have had said he had visions as a child of like this great like reversal of power. Like, you know, like he would uh, have like predicted the Battle of Hermosdegad or whatever, like the battle that like. Thanks for the thumbs up. Yes, the battle which the Sasanian emperor overthrew the Parthian emperor and completely re-, re anybody could have predicted that. That that'd be like predicting at the time that like Trump was gonna win. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like a whatever. It's like a sort of like one out of three chance. Not a bad, not, not a bad odds. You know. He also said that pretty much everything that happened to Christ happened to him. Right. What? But. It, it's interesting because like he grew up in a time when everything was changing, but also all these different cultures were mixed in like in the same area that he grew up in. Like what is now Iraq was like the center of like global trade. Was well, even the way that we talk about it, we're like projecting our understanding of the modern world. Even when we make the distinction between Iran and the Middle East, as if that existed at that time, that that's like laughable. There were no known borders of any of these regions the people had cultural identities, but they were definitely not confined regionally 
they weren't confined religiously, they weren't confined in any way. It, it was in the, the same way that we understand like metropolitan cities. Like think about, you guys are in Montreal. How many different cultures exist in Montreal right now? Hundreds. Yeah, languages spoken, religions followed. It's not very different, but you wouldn't say, you wouldn't talk about like a specific part of Montreal adhering to this specific thing. No, no. Only. Exactly. Like it's the no. same thing with the ancient world. You wouldn't, we talk about like Iran, the Middle East, this, that, the, the, these are all very wobbly concepts. None of these borders existed at that time. Right. But the cities, like where the taxes go to is basically like the, the domain of the Shahs of Iran versus the domain. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The extent That's of the, of the city infrastructure. Exactly. Sure. Where your taxes go is basically like, okay, this city is under the domain of the Shah. This city is under the domain of the uh, of Caesar. You know that's the distinction. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you but if you were living out like in the steppe and stuff, you don't give a damn about what's going on in Babylon. Not in the slightest. But the interesting part to me is that he himself, like in, of his origins, he himself was uh, an Elkasite or uh, a member of a, a Jewish sect in in like the region of Mesopotamia, which is interesting yeah. to me. So he supposedly had received so many different visions like of different like travels and preachings that we would have in the future and all the past and the future you know like just you know or yeah. and so eventually he began to travel and write down his own text so like unlike a lot of religious traditions he wrote his own texts in aramaic to start off with so you can really trust him exactly i'm I'm really 100. I, I wrote everything down myself, which is very like, um, which is sort of like the claim to fame that like uh, Islam has to a certain extent. Exactly. Where, like, it, I'm telling you, you'll start to see a lot of parallels. It was correlated. It's really legitimate. You can trust this one. It's like high quality. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but like, that's like, that's the pitch, right? Like there's not a million versions of yeah. the Quran. There's one version of the Quran. That's it. Like even like the ones that we've been unearthing recently are like minor, like, slight edits that, that come about from like from the early first generation and then they were all codified into one version yeah and he was writing his own thing so like his thing was yeah, yeah so it had the seal of the prophet it was the right way yeah and it's very relevant to this concept of good and evil because money talks about the eternal struggle of good and evil of good and evil and in his and the eternal struggle is very like Hindu. That's very wheel of samsara. He he takes the influence from Hinduism, Buddhism, because of all his travels, he's actually able to interact with all of these different faith traditions from from India, from China, from from uh, the western parts of the like the Eastern Mediterranean from yeah. all of those and he's he's basically trying to like syncretize them all into one faith this is a guy in the second century he said or the third century third century like walking all these places that's amazing <laughs> can we talk about that I'm that sure. alone is impressive this guy went from europe to to china by foot yeah so he spent most of his life traveling around and part of the reason why he was able to do this is because he had the uh, the sponsorship of Shapur the first, who not questionable at all. Not not questionable at all. I know, but like this is the guy who beat the Roman Empire at Edessa. By the way, 
So like from a previous episode. So that guy decides that he finds Manny a very interesting guy. I, I don't know if he like ever converted to his way of thinking, but he decides to give him royal protection and royal patronage. Yeah. And that allows Manny to like set like the resources to go everywhere he wants and to like bring along followers and to teach people and to spread his message. Right. And like very quickly, it becomes a major uh, intellectual like movement. By the end of his life, it was a major movement. And it's like a lot of people in like pop history or like more like public history would describe it as the first world religion because it's the first one that at least according to this has influence in China all the way into Western Europe. It's also not being spread by force. True, that's, that's important. It's, it's spread by like wandering, like missionary kind of guys. Yeah, but it's also very logical and you can demonstrate it. Right. You know, like I, I think about like enlightenment era philosophers or no, not even like Greek philosophers, like looking at animals and being like, look at that donkey. Um, he's definitely beneath, you know, a, a human being and a human, therefore a human being, an angel must be the next logical, you know, divine being. And then above an angel is an archangel. And then above that is this, is this kind of hierarchy of divinity. And, and Mani can like rationalize this to people. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's really crucial that this religion is not being spread by force. He systematizes the whole cosmology really well. And he like writes his own thoughts and all the rest. Yeah, and he probably delivered it very well. If he's going around and he gets sponsored by the state, he probably knows how to articulate himself very well and very convincingly. Well, I mean, convincingly to a point, because I'm going to just uh, mention. No how one listened to Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Because <laughs> he, he kept preaching about like helping the poor. Who wants what? So is money. But he's not Jesus. Like no one. Remember we talked about this. Like no one is down with Jesus at the time. Even his own followers, where he's telling people, "Please don't philosophize on my being. Please listen to my teachings." And as soon as he yeah. dies, they're like, "So he was gone. Was he here." He was <laughs> Anyways, so let's yeah. But Mani, Mani is doing something like that. But he's not. He's convincing. And people are following him. But I'm going to say he's not that convincing because the second Shapur the first dies, Mani gets imprisoned. and yeah, he gets banished, right? No, he's banished for a little while. And then they catch him. And he's tortured for 26 days in an Iranian dungeon and then dies. So not the best end. Almost. Well, he probably said some. That sounds like he said something against the state probably said a lot of things against the state or that the, the Shapur's son or grandson was really sick of hearing about him. But, yeah, or politics changed or whatever. Exactly. But by a hundred years after his death, this was an extremely widespread religion. Yeah. Like its heyday was around 400 CE. It became you like... You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Baha'i. Do you know Baha'i? Yes. Baha'ism, yeah. Very similar. Yeah. But Baha'i Baha is a modern kind of version of that. Yeah, exactly. It's also a very systematized religion. Uh, we'll definitely do a future episode on it because it uh, it does, although it starts off in Iran also, it like also mixes in with like the Arab world as well. 
and especially in Palestine and a different area. I don't know about it. I'm excited to learn. Yeah. So, so like the religion would also be like after Shapur the first, it would be uh, oppressed and repressed in both Iran and the Roman and Christian Roman Empire. Yeah. But, but it, what about the psychology of this thinking? Which this thinking? is this is radical. All of this change is radical. Absolutely. Why is it allowed to happen? Why does it happen in the first place? Why doesn't the state shut it all down? Can they control it? Can they, are they benefiting from it? What is the, like, these are things I'm thinking about. From, from this religion in particular? Any of these religions that are wildly against what the mainstream religions are. That, and now, at this time, Rome is now using Christianity, right, to conquer the world. Yeah. And these people are philosophizing on the divinity of Christianity instead of joining this fight to conquer the world. It's, it's interesting because, like... And, and how does... You talked about the rise of... Uh, Manichaeism. Uh, no, of, of the Sasanians in, in Persia. Yeah. How does this look on the ground? Does this look like good versus evil on the ground? It kind of no. does. What do you mean? The Roman Empire at this time, they're now evangelists, right? They're now spreading the message of Christ yeah. for the sake of salvation for everyone against the fire-worshipping pagans who, you know, give your body to birds when you die and things like that, that completely against the Abrahamic rites. So I think it's I think it's interesting because I see what you mean. Rome would be like Christian around like 300 CE. So it's a little bit after Manny's time. But like Shapur, I think was almost doing, about to do what Constantine almost did, you know? Or like what Constantine actually ended up doing, which was re reform the empire's religion into something that he could control or at least think he could control you know I, i'm like really sorry but i don't think constantine in my mind is keanu reeves and it's really hard for me <laughs> what to, like divorce that concept that constantine was an actual wait what are you even referencing the movie is it is that his name in the matrix no you're fired <laughs> no, I don't know. What are you talking about? I'm bad at pop culture. <laughs> Constantine is a is it DC or Marvel? DC. DC. It's a DC like hero. He fights, he fights demons, and Keanu Reeves played him in a movie. I I don't know these things. I'm so jealous that you that you haven't seen it. I want to go back to yeah. not seeing Constantine and discovering that. Bad? What is this? Huh? What is this? Is it good or is it bad? It was it was good. I'm just saying, like I just have no idea about the Christian Roman Emperor because in my mind, it's always going to be Keanu. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Anyways. Anyways, the point is, <laughs> I, I, what I, I'm finding interesting is that, like, okay, I don't even know how to, like, come back from that. How do I come back? Oban, say something. <laughs> Basically, what he's trying to say, our dear Houston, is the 
Persian emperor was trying to do exactly what Constantine was trying to do by taking the religion and making it his own, something that he can control. Exactly. Yeah. Because like, yeah. that's kind of what the what Roman emperor the guy did. who converts on his deathbed? Yeah, but like he did a lot to set up the church. Like he even presented. What is he? He kind of changed the philosophy of the empire a little bit. Uh, Constantine, because he, he kind of turned the empire into something like um, that justifies its world domination if, by like... By, or justifies the authority of, of the emperor in some ways. Yeah, but by, by, change, by turning it into a Christian empire, it's out there to save souls, right? It's all, it's because also, you can't really preach that under the old, under the old uh, pagan religion, that what? they're saving souls. You know I, what I, mean? I would say it's more along the lines of... Are they out to save souls? Well, yeah. Well, Christian. The Christian... Romans. Romans. I, I will Catholics. It's more like It's more like he's trying to co-opt a movement from being a threat to the empire to making it an integral part of the empire. Yeah, but this also bolsters the empire a little bit. Like more... Yeah. Yeah, because then it, it it just makes it it just makes it just it gives it like a religious justification. Mm-hmm. Well, is I don't know. I think it's mind. bullshit. I don't think they believed in Christianity. I don't think they believed any of that crap. At some point, they probably. I th- I don't know. I think at some point they really did. Um, definitely, certain emperors definitely believed in yeah. Christ. It, it's. But I mean, the early ones. That I don't think the early ones did. Oh, you mean like Constantine after Constantine? Or before? Who comes for who's Justinian? Does he come before Constantine? Later, way later, like three, two, two hundred years after Constantine. Really? I don't. You guys, I don't know anything about this. Is like modern history. This is history stuff. Like it, it's all like the timeline's kind of important. So like, what does Justinian do? Why is he in my mind? Justinian, uh, he has a bunch of fights with different. Like we actually talked about this in the Christian ex- episode. Oh. A bunch of fights with different aspects of like different sects of Christianity. Yeah. And what But he didn't like Christianity, but he came after Constantine? No, he liked Christianity. He just oh. he was just fighting different sects. But Constantine was trying to make the church the the authority in the Roman Empire. And in doing so, there were disagreements between the different bishops. Because they were coming out of hiding, out of persecution. They were having different, dis- like, uh, like they couldn't agree on the exact, the exact way the religion will be set up, and like the different philosophies within it. So they actually break apart several times in Constantine's reign, and those different sects would become different factions within the Roman Empire that would cause headaches for emperors going forward. And actually, just sitting- we're talking about an empire, an empire like. What? Huge, huge. And yeah. we're also talking about some guys in the desert. Exactly. At the same time. That's wild. But these ideas from guys in the desert sometimes come out of the caves and into the public and they spread like wildfire. That's so platonic of you. Yeah, well, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, this philosophy can change the world. But like, honestly, that's what, what else is a prophet other than a philosopher who gets a following? Right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, kind of, but you know, great truths about the world that are adopted become religion. Yeah, yeah. And to some extent, some people, yeah. some, some, I've heard some people speculate that um, 
Zoroaster was considered a prophet Islamically. I, 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 I have I, never heard that before. I've heard that, but I don't know much about him to like well, say anything. Manny, Manny pitched himself as some like people the final even say prophet. some people even call Buddha uh, a, a, a prophet of Islam. There's some line in the Quran somewhere that says something like, "We showed you prophets, and we also didn't name all of them." Yes, no. something like that. And that's why some people like, would have yeah. as well. Zoroaster. Yeah. So, like, I think a lot of this has to do with a lot of syncretism, actually. And, like, these different, like, this is just this melting pot of ideas and different cultures and different traditions. And, like, there's, like, this impulse to syncretize different elements of your society, like Manny did, into, like, something new. Yeah. And then there's this element of like trying to like there's also this puritanical element of trying to go back to some like purified version of one tradition. It's very Hellenic. It's very Greek. It's yeah. very Greek. It's the I would argue that this is the influence of the Greek world now on the world that it's it's like influencing people to philosophize about their existence which they never would have done before. Interesting. But what I'm trying to like get at is that there's like also this impulse that people have to like bring like make sense of all these different ideas that are floating around around them of different traditions right i can't even imagine being a regular person in this time and all all these this is just what we know about and we barely know anything about it imagine all the things we don't know about probably hundreds of these kinds of traditions everywhere running around proselytizing bothering people i know the answer this is the way to salvation blah 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 blah. Very it's nice. the end times yeah. you know but, but don't you think people were just disconnected it's not very different from today if i think about it actually yeah don't you think people are just disconnected from this in general i mean if you're if you're you know living in the desert or if you're living in the mountains you're just not bothered yeah. by this no yeah yeah i mean yes and no but that's a good point. I have a question for you, Iman. What do you think like incur like actually makes somebody when you have all these different like traditions, what actually encourages somebody to break away from the traditions of their forefathers? And how do they decide on what tradition to follow? Or new idea to follow? Thanks for the simple question. Um, <laughs> well, I have an idea and Obama has an idea about it, but I want to hear yours first. Why do people break from the religion of their fathers? Um, in that context or generally speaking? Generally. Generally speaking. Ooh, even harder. Um, okay, in that context. In the then. context. <laughs> What was the question again? Can you rephrase why, it? Why do you think people would break away from the religions of their forefathers and adopt a new religion? And like a second one would be, why would they choose one religion over another? What, yeah. what appeals to like one faith tradition? And why does one get like more popular than another? We didn't go easy on her, did we? No, we didn't. No, I, I'm like. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, well, I'll, I'll I'll set it off by saying like I think that religions uh, come about to people to people like people adopt them because they need them, 
it, it addresses a specific social or psychological need that people have in society. I think I'm th now I'm just using myself as an example or as a point of reference, but it's a fair start. Um, I think that people begin to reject ideas because first of all, they might not see those ideas realized in the group that they're following. Mm -hmm. So they might think of the group that they're attached to as hypocritical. Um, another reason might be that there's been some philosophical development in society and people are now thinking in a different way and they start to question the logic of more traditional ways of thinking. Like I'm thinking of modernity, like concepts of modernism. Um, but it's a really tough question. Um, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not sure, to be mm -hmm. honest. Oban, you, you wrote something in the notes that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, but I don't agree with that anymore. Basically, what my initially my answer was, I think religion with, with better stories gather more people. You know, so I mean? the second like, Star Wars was better than the first one. <laughs> yeah, but it kind of, a little bit because like because you know how all religions they have like uh oh like I don't want to call it mytho mythology, but they do have uh, we're, not, we're not using that. Word. That, that's that's traditions. I know I don't and I didn't want to use that word. Traditions. Traditions, yes, traditions, but also stories. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and and I think religions with the more compelling stories will gather more people, but I don't agree with that anymore. I honestly think it has everything to do with people's material conditions and their way of life, because like I I remember like recently I was reading. Why, why is, why are like Khalijis like the way they are? No, because I, honestly, look, look, I do think one thing I did, I did, uh, I was reading this book. It's called uh, the, the, the Shiris of Iraq. And it was basically just about the, the, the story, like just the history of Shi Shiism in, in, in the region. And a lot of Iraqis converted to Shiism only about 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. So prior to that, prior to that, they were Sunnis, okay? Well, they weren't much of anything. Well, well, you can call them Sunnis, but they definitely were not Shias. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it happened was because they used to be Bedouin Arab tribes, nomads, uh -huh. but then they got settled but then uh, the Ottoman Empire wanted to settle them in order to civilize them. And so th they forced them to take up agriculture. And then once they took up agriculture and started to build little villages, that's when they adopted Shiism. And it has... Interesting. And, and because... Like, it was a competition between Iran and the Ottoman yeah. Empire in that way because uh, the Ottomans were trying to set, settle them in the region as like a bulwark against Iran and Iran because Karbala and Kufa are right there they sent out like people to proselytize to these new settlers yes but the thing is is that also like living in the desert because they used to be prior to settling they used to be Bedouins right nomad Bedouins and honestly I don't think you would ever find a Shia Bedouin because I've never heard of a Shia 
being Bedouin. a Bedouin because yeah. you can't because Shiism involves a lot of us uh, cult of like the saints. It's it, yeah. it involves a lot of that. It involves a lot of. Uh, is it foreign? Is Sunni foreign for you guys? What do you mean? Like yeah. as a Shia, is it for? Is like Sunni tradition foreign for you? Like Shia oh. is totally foreign for me. And no, I think for most Sunnis, to be honest, it, it, it's not. No, it's because uh, it, we borrow a lot of from Sunnism. We just uh, the Shias just focus a lot. They they take the Sunnah of the Prophet as well as the Sunnah of the family of the Prophet, mm -hmm. while the Sunnis okay. just take the Prophet, right? But this is this is this is just like a, a side note. But like one thing is that the reason why you would never find a Bedouin Shia is because living in the desert and being a nomad, your your focus or your emphasis is most like your religious. You're you're very you're very in tune with nature, right? Yeah. So because you're very in tune with nature, the religion that you develop is something that's very spiritual, kind of like and animism a little bit you know what i mean because like you kind of have to follow like the like that. nature in order because that's how you survive shiism is not like that at all living in the desert you you it requires kind of like a more puritan lifestyle which is kind of why like the khalijis uh, adopted wahhabism Right, because I don't know. Because, is that why? <laughs> a little bit, because like uh, it's it's a different lifestyle. Been, but they've been living as Bedou for like the longest time. It was only like a couple hundred yeah, years ago. Yeah, but like, like it's still proliferated. But like what I'm trying to say is that living as a like your lifestyle really influences the religion that you're gonna take. And I don't disagree. And honestly, like Shiism, because there's a lot of cult of saints. There's a lot of like. Uh, can we say like? Uh, can I ask my friend the same question? Let's ask an outsider. Let's, yeah. Let's get some audience questions here. Yeah. Can Can we ask you? Sure. Okay. So, repose the question, please. What do you think is involved in the? Uh, why would somebody choose to switch their religion from the religion of their forefathers? Why would they replace their religion with a new one? And what do you think like goes into? the reasons behind that and the the choice of which or which position to take up that is not their own yeah pr probably the times well you know, bring, bring him closer we can't hear think about it oh come closer uh, can't hear you. Yeah, um maybe the, maybe the times or the political climate of the of the times so for example like i don't know how old you guys are but you know america was super conservative back in the like 50s and 20s and stuff like that you know what i'm saying yeah, so th yeah things things yeah you're not that old you know but things <laughs> things change and and um you know it was like uh the hippies versus the well put yeah. make it personal if, well for if me the personally religion of your father like if the, you for, stop following the religion of your father brainwash. <laughs> you oh yeah. i like this what was that brainwash brainwashing oh do you have a, do you have something to say hikari i'm interested no because like some people create something that oh this is great and some people good at talking yeah they like oh that's good i'm gonna follow that so that's why people i mean i think even now this day people change the buddha 
to Christian or Christian to Buddha. Mm -hmm. Why? That's the question. You know, because people get brainwashed, people listening, they go to yeah. church, they go to Buddhist, and they're like, no, this is what you gotta believe. Yeah. This is what you why, gotta why believe. Buddha? But, why but, not another religion? But you've already been conditioned. I'm not gonna use the word brainwashing because I don't want to alienate too many people, but why do you, you're already conditioned to the the faith of your parents? Most people follow the faith of their parents. You've I'm, already been conditioned. What causes somebody to switch over to oh, a new system? Yeah, brainwash. Yeah, like Maybe but like in, in the church, you, you know, like in the church, there's like a mass exodus of Christians because people see the hypocrisy in the church nowadays. That's why there's a lot of people falling out of Christianity and that people are not necessarily like that I'm religious, but I'm spiritual now, you know? Right. So like, that's interesting because when we were talking about the crisis of the third century, which really like was the thing that set off like like these sects and these different religions existed, but that's when they really became really popular, where mm. people started to really abandon the the pagan faith and the Zoroastrian faith of previous centuries and really start to adopt all these new uh, religions that were wandering, like sort of like wandering around in the caves of the Middle East at the time. Yeah, uh, honestly, I really think it's because of their uh, their lifestyle. Their lifestyle changed. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the same thing that happened in the United States, kind of like during the, the hippie movement, you know, and then it, it, it turned, you know, people, the hippies' parents were like really conservative, and then the, the, the children became yeah. like reactionary. Liberal. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. Like, like I, have, I have a feeling, for example, that if somebody lived in the forest for a long time, they wouldn't be Christians. No, but if you live in the city, would be Christian. No, but here's the thing: if you live, if you lived in the forest, right, you and your and your with you and your clan, right, even if the message of Christianity came to you, you would never, you wouldn't be convinced. That's why whenever missionaries go to those tribes, they kill them. They spit them. They get the fuck out of here with that. Your, your 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 environment is very very important. If you lived in the city, you would be you would like go into yeah. Christianity. Well, that's the core concept, Oban. These Abrahamic religions are a religion of man, and not of nature. That is true. Completely that's different context. But, and why is that? Because these are religions of cities. Yeah, let's say yeah. like empire. Empire. Exactly. Yeah, like I live in the forest, but get out by your material reality. Empire. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's what I was trying to get at with your environmental reality. I mean, these, for example, if, if I want to go back to the example of the tribes of Iraq, had they not settled and still kept their Bedouin ways, they wouldn't have turned Shias. They would have kept their Sunnis, but although their Sunnism was... Yeah, but Alban, they became Muslim. Yeah. But, they, but Islam is also, in certain ways, like... Wait, what do you mean by they became Muslim? Bedouins. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Even this, even the Ottomans didn't consider them as as Muslims because they had their own customs and traditions and their own teachings that kind of went against like yeah. the traditional Ottoman orthodoxy. Well, the Ottoman orthodoxy is a dominant society. Yeah. Whatever fits. Where were you guys this last uh, two hours? Like, come on, <laughs> we're just sitting here guys. listening. Listening All of a sudden, guys. my my friends are fucking. <laughs> scholars i love it 
No, we were listening to you guys. It was really interesting. No, it's good to yeah. it's good so, to yeah. get more opinions than. Yeah. By the way, uh, how about we introduce them to our audience, like these? Uh, yeah, please. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a uh, I'm Julius. Uh, Julius Best. I'm Iman's friend. And okay. this is uh. Ikari. Sorry. Ikari. Ikari. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Also, we got a Caesar in the house. Just saying. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. I haven't heard that joke before. <laughs> Why did I guess it? What do you think I get, sir? <laughs> Wait, what's his, what's your name again? His name's Houston. Oh, okay, yeah. See, you guys. I get have all the right to make these jokes. <laughs> yeah. And he's okay. Arab, so that's hard. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have the weirdest, like, I have this weirdest three-part name. I got a Scottish first name, a French middle name, and an Arab last name. Weirdest shit. Oh, man. <laughs> He yeah, just, uh, mixture. Man of the world. Here. All right. <laughs> yeah. And also, Oban's from like the village, like that bears, like the town that bears my family name for some reason. Yeah. It's kind of kind of odd. Safai <laughs> is a big name in the Middle East. Yeah, it's a it's a big family. But he was a guy. He was a he was a Muslim saint or something. He, 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 he was, was a, a Sufi. Sufi. Yeah. He, the Rifai is oh. one of the big Sufi orders, and apparently, like they were like one of the weird ones that like ate fire or whatever, and like rode lions and walked on glass and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. The big masjid in Old Cairo is Masjid Rifai. Yeah, the, and like if you Google it, you'll get if you Google the name the Rifai in English, you'll get exactly three things. You'll get the mosque in Egypt which is not that common. You'll get the Rafai Sufi order with the, 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 the lion riding thing, and you'll get a nut company in Lebanon. <laughs> it's a very, oh, yeah. very good nuts. I'm a, I'm a dentist in like 100 countries. So. <laughs> but in any case, I, anyway, I have a couple a questions question. to pose our, our uh, impromptu audience members. What was it? What did, what did you say? Does necessity drive belief or does belief drive necessity? Does necessity drive belief or does belief drive so so or does or the second part could be belief does belief like drive material reality so like does material reality drive belief or belief drive material reality like i'm thinking like one of the reasons we don't see manichaeism and like zoroastrianism and uh, and Mendeism is because, well, for Zoroastrian and Mendean uh, followers, you cannot marry outside of the religion or you're outcast and no one can convert to the religion, okay. at least today, which is, which is an, in, it's an inbuilt limitation of the religion and it actually like necessi necessitates sort of like a, a small like marriage and gene pool. It, it kind of messes things up if you want to like perpetuate the religion in the physical world. And for Manichaeism, like we mentioned, we kind of like just mentioned it briefly. The followers of many were specifically instructed not to procreate because the like not to add to the physical world. Yeah. So you could so they wouldn't like promulgate. Like they had the opposite problem. The only thing you could do is preach and try to get converts. Sounds like dogma, doesn't it? Sounds like dogma? Yeah. Like, uh, like you have to follow uh, the specific rules of this specific group, mm. you know? Yeah, it is dogmatic. It's dogmatic. All religions are dogmatic to a certain extent. Like, not all, but like most. 
Can you rephrase the question? Can you make it more clear? Well, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't. Like, I, I believe that <laughs> I necessity, necessity drives you don't either? belief. No. Necessity drive, you don't believe necessity drives belief? But what is it? I don't understand the question. Um, yeah, I don't understand Well, look, I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. So, like, my mom one day was ill, and uh, she was just like, I need some money. It's a true story, too. You know, it was me and my brother and my sister. It was raining, and she was just like, oh, my God, I need some money. And a $20 bill just floated down. You know, she found a $20 bill on the street, and then she picked that $20 bill up, and she believed that God sent yeah. So necessity drove her belief, you know. Huh. Yeah. And then she's like hardcore Christian, like she's, like that's her like defining like yes. That God, was the sign. Yeah, God talked to me. The <laughs> sky know? opened. Yeah. Funny how his hand reached out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have very similar experiences. Oh, it happens there. all the time, you know. It happens all the time. You yeah. go to church. You know, and they talk about these miracle stories like, oh, man, my son was dying and I prayed to God and my son, like, you know, didn't die. <laughs> right, know? right. Yeah. You know, so I, it's my personal belief that um, well, that's, necessity drives belief. That's like what Jesus Christ did, right? His whole thing was to go around yeah. proving that he could solve your issues. Yeah. And all so these you people, could argue yeah. that it's out of necessity. It's hard. It's probably both. Well, no, like a lot of know. places he went, people came from all over the Middle East to see him to get healed. Now, that sounds like, you know, yeah. necessity driving belief. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's like it's a fairly... I guess this is a, like in that way, that's an obvious answer, but uh, there's another question that I kind of like was posing earlier that I'd like to pose to you. Yeah, go ahead. And that's like, what do you think of the, is there like an inherent conflict between syncretism and like puritan, like this sort of like puritanical traditionalism? So like most of the religions we're talking about right now yeah. are syncretic, like they've mixed in different oh, yeah. tradition. Yeah, like like an evangelical church right now. All, all religions are yeah. syncretic. There is is there a unique religion? Is that what you're implying? But what I'm saying is, is there a difference? Like, is there a conflicting impulse between syncretic like impulses that people have, and like traditionalists where they they at least make the claim that they're trying to remove all of those like new elements to a religion. They want to go back to like a version. Like it's pure form, like yeah. it's pure form right there. Do you think that, that now you're asking, is there a conflict between those two ideologies? Or is it an inherent conflict? I don't think it's inherent. No. I don't, no. I don't think it's inherent. Like, you agree, Oban, what do you think? Uh, I do think it is inherent conflict. Uh, so because one puritan the puritanical form they stress on keeping the religion pure right yeah. quote, unquote, pure like in its original form the other one says the other one doesn't mind it being like uh, borrowing a little bit from here a little bit from there you know and creating something new like religions that's, are that's, that's two different impulses that's that's it doesn't yeah but the, the the perception of the pure form is a perception it's not something that was ever known to them. It's an yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I agree with you that it's a perception because, like that, that pure form that they they claim that they want to go back to is itself 
a synchronized version of whatever. So, so then what would be the pure form of Islam? Like, why do we have Sunni and Shia? No, but that's well, the thing. Wahhabis think they have the pure form. I'm not, I'm not arguing that there is a pure form of Islam, but I'm trying it's to say that the impulses are, are conflicting. It's like, uh, what's that parable of the like five blind men and an elephant, you know, where, where you ask each one to describe an elephant. I don't know this parable, but I yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get five blind men and they, they all were touching an elephant. And then you ask them to describe an elephant. And one person says, well, an elephant is sharp like a knife, but, you know, he was holding the elephant's tusk. And the other one says, well, an elephant's strong like mm. a tree, but he was actually holding the his foot. foot. You know, that's my perception of like, for example, Islam, like Sunni and um, Shia. Shia. Yeah, but but I think his question was, do you think that both impulses yeah. of puritan of going up uh, yeah, are in conflict with each other, right? Puritanical traditionalism. Yeah. So like, I'll, I'll give it a few. Like, is pure is puritanical traditionalism conflicting with syncretism, right? And I do think there is a conflict. Like, I don't know that that question makes any sense. I'll be honest with you. That, um, that's what I understood from the question. Because I see this sort of like impulse in our modern world, this sort of like- Yeah, give me an example. Okay, so at least in terms of culture, not maybe yeah. not in terms of religion, but in terms of culture, um, which aren't easily separable comp uh, concepts, I guess, but like, let's just go with it. There's like, there's an understanding of the like new cultures are developed by like not just like development but syncretism between new elements that come into a culture right yeah give me an example so let, let me use montreal for example montreal is a specific culture that is a mix of french quebecois influence a lot of catholicism the protestant elite coming in jewish people irish people and then later on new immigrants from haiti from all over yeah. the world, from the Arab world, all of these people have come together to make, to be part of this new syncretic idea of what Montreal is and what Montreal culture is. Mm -hmm. And then there's this impulse that certain people have who are threatened by new elements to reform and go back to a previous pure form of the culture. It's like boomers versus millennials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what we're talking about. Huh. <laughs> but like the thing is, um, we we kind of have a skewed concept because, um, at least in like North America, it's young people are pro syncretism and old people are pro purity, which it doesn't necessarily follow in every example that you look at. Like, as a Muslim, yeah. in terms of like why why in Islamically why we don't have. Like, you know how Jews have reformed Judaism where it's like relaxed and they don't have to practice much, but they're mm -hmm. still, we don't have that, right? Islamically, you're either practicing or you're not. It's one or the other. You're either puritanically Muslim or you're drinking and doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And I'm not talking about like just doing bad things and then making up for it during Ramadan. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your beliefs. Like you don't pray, you don't do things that qualify you per the tenets of Islam to be qualified as a Muslim. Right. Okay. Although I will, I will note to our audience that there are like 
less conservative mosques around? It's just not- No, they, they exist. I, I, and I, I'm not knocking the whole culture. I'm just saying in terms of like, uh, no, in terms of mainstream yeah. society, if, if you go to an Islamic country, you either have puritanical people that follow the religion wholly yeah. and people that don't as much as the puritanical side yeah. does. You- and if your question is, do the two, is one inherent to the other? The answer is yes. Okay. Is one inherent to the other or is one in conflict with the other? Was that the question? I thought the question was, are they in conflict with each other? Yes, yeah, so they are in conflict with each yeah, other. Of course that, that's they're what I was trying to say too. Yeah, I think they, they are, are in conflict. conflict. The conflict is, is not just conflict, it's a threat. It's a threat on both sides. One On one side, it's a threat to the freedom and the, the desire to have new beliefs and new practices. And then the puritanical side obviously is very threatened just, because they're not they're they're losing their religion. That's right. like opening up like a bunch of other questions. Around, yeah, know? I would I would like uh, to actually invite uh, more people to come on next time. Actually, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah, that would. Be it's nice. good, right? Yeah. It's good to have more. It's pretty interesting. It's good to have really, more. It's really interesting. Yeah. Hey, send me the link. I'll, I will I'll jump on next. That's <laughs> a pretty cool. We're gonna to have to like deal with all the the problems of Zoom and and the rest of it and recording, which is oh so fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it yeah it's good. I mean, this is why I wanted to um, remember we talked about like was it like we should like encourage the audience to participate with like yeah. questions yeah. that we can answer live yeah, or or like bring people on like yeah. our friends just to have more of a broader discussion a broader discussion about it okay exactly exactly yeah and you know what like i'm really glad we we dealt we dealt with this situation because like this one was like by far our most nebulous topic because we can't even agree on like what the terminology we didn't really talk about gnosticism which i got really excited and hyped for (laughs) and did all uh, so much research (laughs) <laughs> only for the focus to be on Zoroastrianism. <laughs> <laughs> we did spend some time on Gnosticism, okay? Yeah, but it, man, it's Gnosticism is crazy. It deserves its own. It's nuts. It, it, like I said, it's it told every it told people that the Hebrew God, that Yahweh, was like a childish asshole that they had to <laughs> overcome. That is huge. Yeah, but like, as we can see, like with at least the Mendeans, for example, they believe that even an even harsher version of that, where it's like actively all other religions are actively evil, including Jesus being like a false deceiver, and he's not the prophet that has come. Right. Well, if he's the child of Yahweh, that's logical. Yeah. And and it's interesting, because like, each one of these prophets, like have their offshoots, and then their followers, and then their offshoots and their followers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But there, you know, if we look at it in terms of major, okay, if we if we situate religion in its context, we can see that there are like centers of major religion, and then there are peripheries, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I don't like to look at the world this way, but it it works sometimes, and we can use it here. In terms of religion, it definitely works in the Middle East at this time because you have huge empires sitting on huge religions that are being 
some places are being forced onto people and, and some places they aren't. And Iran is a really good example. It's a place where it's not being forced onto people. And because it's not, you get all these interesting philosophies. Anyways, it's time to wrap up the um, episode. All right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really glad with the religions episodes, even though they're like so much more like heady than like our straight history or their story episodes. And I don't think we would have been able to get to as much depth or detail without our wonderful co-host, Iman. So thank you. Thank you very much, Iman. Thank uh, you, hope, guys. I hope the viewers learned a thing or two. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope nobody's more concerned when they walked in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> special thanks to our special guests, our unexpected guests. <laughs> That, yeah. Thanks to you guys. You guys brought up some interesting stuff. Thank you. Really interesting questions. Um, next week I'll have the I'll have my UCLA Zoom, the like grown up Zoom <laughs> that will not lag uh, after <laughs> well, some hours, so we can do it on that. That would be really awesome, honestly. And uh, and the next few episodes are yeah. going to deal with something uh, stories rather than like. Ooh, I like, that. like ideas and stuff so i yeah. think it'll be a little bit more focused too yeah and uh special thanks to our human encyclopedia uh, encyclopedia houston yeah. <laughs> we had yeah, like your, your <laughs> historical knowledge is like yeah like, it's really he's a, he's a history very impressive he's a history nerd and it's 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 fun because like um you learn more doing this sort of thing like uh yeah the only problem is like information is really hard to like parse out like what's like accurate versus what's like an I think we're I think we're all a good balance. Yeah. Or we try to be. Yeah. All right, guys. Anyway, thanks for so, having us. So uh special thanks to Houston, a special thanks to Iman, a special thanks to our, our, our special guests. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. All right. Here are the tunes. اشوی بهترین نعمت است اشوی خوشبختی خوشبختی از آن کسی است که خواستار بهترین اشوی باشد ایدون باد ایدون ترکت چنین باد چنین ترکت Oh,